Amen. If you have your Bibles this morning, turn to 1 Kings. 1 Kings, and uh, we'll be looking at verse two, uh, chapter 2, verse 35, as we continue our series on lion chasers. And uh, as we look at 1 Kings chapter 2 and verse 35, the idea, and this is probably uh, the last sermon in this series of lion chasers, and the idea behind chasing a lot, the lion is representative of God's opportunities for you. God's opportunities for you to, to share Christ, God's opportunities for you to love somebody, to glorify God, uh, to have a great commitment to the great commandment, great commission. And here's the cool thing. Last time we saw in Ephesians 2.10 that God created all of us, right? And he created you for some specific things. He knew just what you would be like. He knew your personality. He knew your likes, dislikes. He knew your talents. And God's created some things for you to do. Uh, greatest things for me to do. I can't do yours. You can't do mine. Some of them will be things that you just really, really enjoy doing. I mean, it's just right in your wheelhouse. Some of them will be a little bit outside of your comfort zone. Some of them might be a little scary at first. Some of them might be a little intimidating at first. And that's why uh, we call them lions in here. Of course, the reason we call them this is because our theme verse has been 2 Samuel chapter 23, 20, when it says, Benaiah went into a pit and killed a lion on a snowy day. And that's a pretty big lion to chase, right? So look, if you will, we're going to follow up with Benaiah and see kind of where he ends up because that's not the end of the story uh, for Benaiah. Look at 1 Kings chapter 2, verse 35. The king put Benaiah, this is Solomon now, the king put Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, in his place over the army. And the king put Zadok, the priest, in place of Abiathar. So anybody been chasing lions lately, say Amen. Boy, that hurts your preacher's, preacher's feelings in all kinds of ways. Anybody been chasing a lion lately? Say amen. 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 This is God-ordained opportunities. We've been talking about this since before revival, since revival. And so this is a great time as we end up our series to either continue looking and hopefully that we're all paying more attention and we're recognizing these God opportunities more often. Or if you haven't been doing it, to start, this is a great day to start, chasing the lions, looking watching, praying for opportunities uh, to glorify God, to love God, to love somebody, to share the message of Jesus. Mark Batterson in his book writes about his grandma. He said his grandmother was one of the most uh, feeble, frail, small, uh, petite people he had ever met. She, he said when he was eight years old, he was taller than his grandma pastor up at eight years old. And he said that she was just tiny. She's a small lady and said that the grandkids, they loved to kind of play with her when, she, when they, were, they were growing up. And they'd say, Grandma, make muscles. And so she'd make a muscle and uh, they would play with the flab. <laughs> That's mean, isn't it? Pretty much, yeah. That's, so they would do that. And, of course, she would laugh. She'd go along with it. You know, it's kind of the reverse bicep, you know, the, the flap down here. And so one time... Somebody stole her car. It was actually a van. She was, she, had, she was a florist. She had a floral shop. She had a van. Somebody stole her van. She reported it to the police. And she didn't think the police were doing a very good job of looking for her van and kind of following up. And so she decided, little grandma in her 70s, little small lady, decided she would become a private investigator. I've been watching a little bit too much, you know, Leroy Jethro Gibbs and NCIS. And so she decided, she thought, she said, I bet one of those Teenage boys down at the school got my van. And so she went around to the school one day and she was looking around and she found it. Found her van in the parking lot of the school. And then she did something that you should not do. Everybody say, don't do this. 
They shouldn't do this, okay? And Mark Batterson him told Grandma, what were you thinking? But she climbed in the van and hid in the back. <laughs> she needed Holt with her. <laughs> she, and and killed her Holt's friends maybe with her. So there she's hid in the back of the van. Sure enough, after school, two or three of these um, young men come, they get in the van, and she scared them to death. She jumped up and said, y'all stole my van. <laughs> and then <laughs> she marched him to the principal's office. Yep. All right, boys, let's go. go. She marched him to the principal. And Mark's like, Grandma, those kids could have hurt you, man. That's dangerous. You don't ever want to do something like that. But here's the thing. You know, here's the thing. The rest of the story is this. Her, his grandmother grew up with a mom that was terrified, very, very frightened. Her husband worked out of town a lot. And so Mark's grandma, the one who busted the van stealers, right? She grew up with a mom that every time her dad was out of town, she had all the kids sleep with her because she was too afraid to sleep by herself. And not only did they sleep with her, they would shut the door and then they'd push the dresser in front of the door so nobody could break in. So every night she watched her mom terrified by fear, barricading her and the kids in, in, into her bed so nobody would get them. And Mark's grandmother said, I determined then I was not going to let fear dictate my life. I was not going to let fear be the reason I did what I did. I was not going to let that be the defining thing in my life. And so how about it for, for those who follow Jesus, we don't need to let fear dictate our lives either, do we? Somebody said, no fear. Yeah, it's okay to be afraid. It's okay to feel some fear. It's okay to, to see something that's a little bit sketchy. But here's the thing. We are to let our faith in Christ dictate what we do, where we go, how we speak. That is to be what drives our life. That's why we've been looking at this series. We want to look at this series and see how Benea did not let fear drive his life. We saw where he went into a pit, killed a lion on a snowy day, but that's not the end of it. He also killed two huge Moabite warriors. He, uh, some of his friends did some tremendous exploits like that. But the thing is about Benaiah is that he stayed loyal to God and to God's people. He did not give up. What we see here in 1 Kings, this is after David dies. And when David dies, one of so God's choice for king after David was Solomon. But one of Solomon's brothers tried to take the throne before Solomon could get there. And not only did he try to take the throne, but David's commander of the army, a guy named Joab, tried to help him. It's not what God wanted. This was not in God's plan. And so Solomon finds out about this. And so he realizes this is a coup. They're trying to overtake the government. This can't work. They're going to have him assassinated. So Solomon beats him to the punch. And he decides to assassinate his brother who's trying to steal the throne. And Joab, who was commander of the army. And who do you think he sent? How about the guy that killed the lion in a pit on a snowy day? <laughs> How about dispatching that guy? That's right. He sent Benaiah to take care of those guys, and Benaiah becomes commander of the army in Joab's place. Now, here's the thing. This is not just about being a big bad lion chaser. This is about being loyal to God, loyal to God's people, and loyal to God's 
purposes. I think when uh, Benaiah killed that lion, if we were to ask him, why did you do that? I think he would have said something like this. It was a threat to the community. It was a threat to my family. Why did he kill the two mighty Moabites? Because they were a threat to God's people. They were a threat to his family. It's interesting. It's interesting. I think when, when Benaiah come out of there, I don't think he was taking selfies with the lion. I don't think he's walking out of that pit saying, dude, this is big bad lion chaser right here. You know, he was just doing what God called him to do. And so here's your weekly growth suggestion. Here's your weekly growth suggestion this week. I want you, as we've been thinking about and reading about in a pit with a lion on a snowy day, I want you to review what you've read because I know all of you that bought the book has finished the book completely, have taken good notes and all of that, and I'm very, very grateful. I am grateful for all of you who come to me and said how much the book has meant to you. That has been very encouraging. I want to challenge you this week. Talk about with somebody how you're different or how what God opportunities you've been chasing or, or what are the opportunities for your family right now? What are your, think about it, what are your opportunities? What are the things that God made you for, designed you for with your personality, with your heart, your likes, your dislike, your temperament, the things that really excite you and things that don't? What, what is God doing in your life during these days? I love what Batterson said. He said, Benaiah stayed loyal to the royal. <laughs> right? And so we want to be loyal to our king, right? Our king who is King Jesus and follow him, taking advantage of all the opportunities. So I wondered this morning, is anybody a little bit different in the fact that you're looking for those God-ordained opportunities a little bit more? Is anybody a little different and expect? Expecting those God opportunities anymore? Is anybody a little bit different that you're praying for those God opportunities a little bit more? Is anybody a little bit different since the end of, at the end of this series and that you're obeying God when these God opportunities come around? And has anybody had a chance this, this, this uh, last 10 weeks or so in celebrating what God has done when you do obey? And y'all missed an awful lot of good opportunities to say amen. <laughs> Look, listen, the idea is not to listen to a sermon. The idea is not to read a book. The idea is to be looking and watching and expecting and obeying God when he brings these things about. And it, the goal is not perfection. The goal is growth. Everybody say growth. growth. The goal is growth because you're not going to see every opportunity and you're not going to do the best you possibly could with every opportunity. In fact, Almost every time I have an opportunity to say something for Jesus or serve somebody in Jesus or love somebody uh, in Jesus' name, most of the time I walk away thinking, I could have done that better. I wish I had said it this way. I wish I had served that way. I wish I had thought about doing it like this. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. It's about growth right? We're talking about this morning growing as lion chasers. And so when I think about, I wish I'd said that a little bit better. I wish I'd have done that a little bit better, a little bit differently. I don't get all guilty about it. I don't feel like, oh man, I'm a crummy Christian. I should just quit and not even try. No, I think, yay, I'm growing. I got a new opportunity. Next time when that comes around, I'm going to say it this way or do it this way. So look at this idea of growth, not perfection. So let's talk about three, three words that I think God wants us to know this morning. As we think about growing as lion chasers, everybody say growing. Growing as lion chasers. First of all, there's people. We grow as lion chasers by growing in being for people 
and with people, okay? By being for and with people. Say, see, there's times when you can be brave and courageous, but it's not about being, uh, look at me, I'm being brave and courageous. It's about being for somebody, being with somebody, doing this together. God put us in a family. Isn't that smart for God to put us in a family? He put us in a family to be for and with each other. You see, if I do something courageous or do something outside my comfort zone and I say, put a, take a picture, put it on Facebook or Instagram, say one big bad line chaser right here. <laughs> See, that's not going to glorify God, is it? That doesn't honor anybody, doesn't love anybody. That's not the idea. That's not the idea is to look at me, what, what I've done. Batterson writes, the opposite of love is not hate. The opposite of love is fear. True love leads to Fearlessness. I thought about that because you think, uh, and I don't know, you know, we could argue with Mark about that if we want to, but here's what I do know. If you love something or somebody enough, you'll push through the fears. A lot of times what happens is we think about ourselves and we think about our fear and we think about, well, that's going to be kind of hard and I might be embarrassed or I might, be, I might look silly or if I ask somebody, you know, do you really know Jesus is your Lord and Savior. They might say something, you know, difficult to me. But here's the thing. If you love God and you love them enough, you'll be willing to do it. Every parent knows this because if some random person comes by and they need a kidney to survive, you may or may not do that. But if your child needs it, how many of you, how many of you give your child a kidney if they need it? Say amen. Raise your hand up real high. All you children whose parents that don't have their hands up, y'all will be a little suspect there. <laughs> you see, it gets you. I see some people looking at their parents like, why wouldn't your hand up? See, the idea is to get the focus off of yourself. Benea was not trying to be a hero, okay? It's not part of a gang initiation. This is not something that was popular to do. He's trying to protect people. He, I love what the Lion Chasers Manifesto said. It says, are you living for the applause of people of the applause of nail-scarred hands. That's why I've been showing the short video right before I preach uh, each Sunday morning with Mark Batterson saying that. I just think it's kind of, that was Mark Batterson that wrote the book saying that. And I love the way he says that. Are you living for the applause of nail-scarred hands? Are you looking to please God more than Somebody think well of you, somebody talk well of you, somebody think you're pretty cool, pretty nice, or something like that. And as Benea keeps growing, he starts with a lion, these Moabite guys, and, and we don't know what all else Benea did, but he ends up being commander of the army. Why? He grew, he matured, and he stayed loyal to who God was. So he was for people. I really do believe the reason Benea's doing these things is because of the protection of his people, the protection of his family to defend the people of God. But also, he's doing this with people. Well, we've seen some other guys here in this story. I mean, he's around some pretty bad dudes, right? We, we read about a guy named Joshua Bashabeth who uh, raised his spear against eight hundred warriors at one time. Everybody say 800. 800. Then we look at a guy named Eleazar who uh, struck down the Philistines until his hand got tired and froze to the sword. And we looked at a guy named Abishai, who's the brother of Joab, the son of Zeruiah. He raised his spear against 300 people that he killed. And of course, David, you know, David and Goliath's story. And so these are the guys that Benaiah hangs out with. He's hanging out with some dudes that set the bar up pretty high, right? 
And if he comes in and he says, hey, guys, what did you do this weekend? Oh, man, I ran Armadillo out of the yard. <laughs> well, what about you? I killed 300 Philistine soldiers. Oh, yeah, right. Wow, oh, yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah, he's aroused some guys that are challenging him, that are pushing them, that, that, that are putting ideas in his mind that he hadn't thought about. And listen, guys, every one of us, every one of us, we need to be around people that push us, that encourage us, that we look at their life and we think, man, that guy and that gal's growing. They're loving. They're forgiving. God's used it. We need to be around people that raise the bar for us, and we need to be people that raise the bar for somebody else. It's how you get better at something, right? You play with people that are better than you. If you want to be a better basketball player, you play against people that are better than you. If you want to be a better cross-country runner, you run against people that are faster than you. If you want to be a better baseball player, you play against people that are better than you. Wow, it raises your game. It forces you to see, I can do better than this. I can play better than this. I can give more effort into this. And so every one of us, as, as the people of God, we need to be warring for and with people against the enemy. I love what Batterson said. He said, your potential will be determined by the people you surround yourself with. I heard a guy, a personal growth guy say years ago, he said, show me the books you read and the people you hang out with, and I'll tell you what your life's going to look like in five years. The people you hang out with and the things you fill your mind with. Those of us who went to the youth retreat this uh, last summer, uh, we heard the guy say, who has your ear? Who are you listening to? Are you listening to God's word? Are you listening to the Holy Spirit? Are you listening to what God says? Are you filling your mind with godly music, Christian music, Christian books? Or are you filling your mind with Fox News? Are you filling your mind with... with ugly websites, or you fill in mind with ungodly entertainment. If you fill your mind with that stuff and hang around with people that talk that way, you're going to live that way. It's very, very difficult to be a lion chaser uh, when you hang out with a bunch of turkeys, amen? <laughs> so let me ask you parents something. When's the last time, when's the last time you told a really cool lion chaser story to your family. When's the last time your children saw you share your faith? When's the last time one of your children saw you offer to pray for the waitress? When's the last time one of your children saw you love somebody that really needed somebody to, to love them? When's the last time your children saw you stand up for somebody that nobody else was standing up for? What are, you see, Mark says that his grandma's story, he said, man, that's just legend around our house. That's one of those stories that we just tell all the time about grandma and the fan thieves. What's your stories? Do you have some lion chasing stories in your house? First of all, there's people. Secondly, there's problems. God not only uses people to help us grow and grab these opportunities, but he uses our problems because our problems, what do they do? They force us to go somewhere for comfort. They force us to go somewhere for relief. They force us to go somewhere for some kind of peace. You see, prob your problems are not just problems if you're a Christian. If you're a Christian, you're a follower of Jesus, you've given your life to Christ, watch this, guys. Your problems are an opportunity to glorify Jesus. 
Your problems are opportunities to speak well of Jesus. Somebody comes by and says, man, I, I heard about your sickness or I heard about that difficult time. I heard about your job. I heard about that deal that's going on in your life. Man, I'm so sorry. And you can say, well, thank you. I really appreciate that. And you know, it's really given me a chance to get to know God better. We've really seen God move in our family's life since all this has started. It gives you opportunities to speak well of Jesus. It gives you opportunities to love somebody. We see, when you're having problems, when there's difficulties in your life, it makes you a little more tender to other people's problems, right? It makes you a little more understanding that other people are going through some really hard stuff as well. Uh, see, the problems are also an opportunity to grow to be more like Jesus. Jesus had problems, didn't he? So if we're going to be like Jesus, we need to have what Jesus had, which is friends that betrayed him, people that talked about him, things that didn't go his way, disappointments, all this kind of stuff Jesus had. And so when we have problems, what do we do? We look to Jesus and we say, Lord, show me how to live through this. Take my hand because he's wiser. He knows you. He loves you. And so you say, Lord, show me how to love you how to love other people, how to honor you, how to talk about you in the midst of the problems that come our way. Everybody has problems, but as Christians, even our problems were opportunities. And we're the only ones that I know of that really can say that. A person who's not a Jesus follower, problem's just a problem. Something to get rid of, something to get through, something to be done with. But we actually can say, Lord, thank you that you're going to use this in my life. What the enemy, what Satan intends for evil, God's going to use for what? For good. That's exactly what he promised to do. What Satan intended for evil, God intends for good. Mark Batterson writes, I have an unshakable sense of destiny because I know that as long as I pursue God's calling on my life, then God is ultimately responsible for getting me where he wants me to go. You see, it doesn't matter if you teach school or you go to school or you build houses or you fix cars or you or work as a secretary. It doesn't matter what you do. If you, the most important thing is that you pursue God. The most important thing is that you put Christ first and seek his kingdom first. And as you do that, God is responsible for putting you in places where you got a lion to chase. God's responsible for getting you in contact with somebody. That Boy, they'd come to church if you'd invite them. Do you know that? There are people that you know, people that you run into. They'd come if you'd invite them to come. There, God's is responsible for putting you in contact with people that you could say, Dude, man, I, I know you're going through a hot, tough time. Can I pray for you right now? That'd be all right. God's going to put you in contact with people that feel left out, feel like they don't matter, feel like they're not accepted, feel like they don't belong. And God puts you there to help them to feel that way, to show them, to demonstrate to them that they are extremely, extremely important. God wants to anoint you. And that word anoint means he wants to fill you with his Holy Spirit to help you to do what you do well and to do it for the glory of Jesus. One of Mark's books I was reading, he talks about, he was just about finished with, uh, in a pit with a lion on a snowy day. And he, he went to a meeting, a Bible conference kind of thing, and there was a guy there uh, named Tommy Barnett. And uh, he and his dad had uh, opened up a dream center in Los Angeles. Incredible story, incredible story. They bought uh, a hospital 
on 8.6 acres, cost millions of dollars. They didn't really have that. And they turned it into a ministry center for the homeless and, 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 and addicted and thing, alcoholics, things like that. And they served thousands of people a month at the Los Angeles Dream Center. And they were talking about that, sharing their story. And Mark was in the, was in the audience as he shared the story. And he was talking about how, how God made it possible, how they couldn't do it without God's strength and God's provision and the filling of God's spirit every day. Everybody needs to be filled with God's spirit every day, right? It's not something we do once in a while. And so he said that he invited them. He said, man, if you want us to pray for you, to pray that God would give you a special filling, a multiplication anointing, that you might see his purpose fulfilled in your life in ways you've never seen before. If you want to do that, come to this altar and we're going to pray for you. And Batterson said, I was the first one there. <laughs> now think about it. He's a well-known preacher, well-known pastor. He could have think, well, what, what, people, what are people going to say if I go to the altar? And by the way, the only reason he's the first one to the altar is because my wife wasn't there. <laughs> my wife, I know my wife would have known. She would have absolutely beat him there on that kind of a thing. And so, you know, here's the thing. Whatever it is you do, do it for Jesus and cry out to God. Ask God for the Holy Spirit to come. Ask God for him to anoint you, anoint your eyes to see, anoint your ears to hear, anoint your heart to feel and to love what he wants you to feel and love and be willing to stay at it. Be willing to stay and be loyal to the royal, man. I love what Will Smith says. Some of you have seen the actor Will Smith, uh, different movies that he's in. And Will Smith said, that the secret to his success, whatever success that might be, he said, and I love the way he said it, he said, the secret to my success is I'll die on the treadmill. He said, there are people more talented and got more connections and everything else, he said, but they're not going to outwork me. He said, if you get on a treadmill, you and I get on a treadmill, and we're going to have a contest to see who can stay on there the longest, Will Smith said, I'll die on the treadmill, not getting off. And that's the way we need to be about the will of God. I'll die following Jesus because here's the thing. If you die following Jesus, man, you got a lot better things to look forward to, don't you? You go to a whole lot better place. What a day that will be when Jesus we shall see. Amen. And so we need to be reminded that we need God's filling every day. Yesterday's anointing is not enough for today's challenges. When I say we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit, we need the Holy Spirit to help us to, in, to, in, to invade our lives. What I mean is every day. I'm not asking you if you believe in the filling of the Holy Spirit. I'm not asking you if you've ever been filled with the Holy Spirit. And I'm not asking you, have you seen this happen in somebody else's life? Are you today seeking to live under the control of the Holy Spirit and take the advantage of whatever opportunities that God brings your way. Somebody say, that's me. That's me. All right. So the rest of y'all line up behind Andy and get with it, all right? So three things. First of all, we got people. And secondly, we got our problems. Last of all, there's the purpose. We have a purpose in being lion chasers. And the purpose is what? To glorify God by having a great commitment to the great commandment and great commission. When I say glorify God, well, all that means, y'all, that's what sounds like a religious word. It means to see God for who he really is. And to help somebody else 
see God for who he really is. The idea behind glorifying God is when you see God do something pretty cool or God gives you an opportunity, you point it out. Hey, that was God right there. God was doing that. God's ministering in that way. And so if we stay humble and stay hungry, there's nothing God cannot do in and through you. Stay humble and hungry. And when we realize that the opportunities I'm talking about were made by God for you in eternity past. Why in the world would we want to pass that up? Why in the world would we want to miss out on that? Why in the world would we want to wait till tomorrow? I'll do that tomorrow. I'll do that next year. I'll do that after I get out of school. I'll do that some other time. No, no. This is the time to stay hungry for what God can do in and with you. Because here's the truth of the thing. I want everybody to hear this. You've been, you know, daydreaming or whatever, come back to me right here because I'm even going to yell it on the screens, <laughs> okay? The hero of this series is not Benea or Batterson, it's God. Somebody say it's God. It's God. God is the hero. We point to God. We give credit to God. We recognize God. We tell people, God did this, and I'm so, so grateful. I read the story of a lady named Elizabeth Fry. Elizabeth Fry was born in the late 1700s, lived into the early 1800s. Uh, she became a Christian in her late teenage years. Uh, she went to a gospel meeting where there was a guy named William Savvy preaching, and he was preaching about Jesus and how Jesus uh, ministers to some of the social ills of our day, and there was a lot in her day. There's slavery, there's the prison, prisons were awful, awful, awful in, in her day. Uh, child labor was awful in her day. Just all, a lot of awful, awful things. And she came from a fairly wealthy family. And this guy was just really, um, God used him to really speak to her. And so Elizabeth um, just really kind of nailed her faith down in Christ, surrendered her, lay, her, her faith to follow Jesus, and began doing that, began looking for ways in the community and slums, different places. She started going to, in the, into the slums of London. In those days, a very, very dangerous place for a young lady to go by herself. She began to do that. Somebody challenged her uh, that she ought to go to Newgate Prison, which was a horrible place. And, and somebody said, you ought to go see for yourself. And, of course, everybody else was saying, don't, 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 don't. And one of her, I'm not sure if it was at the prison or in the slums but one evening when she was walking she stumbled over something and she looked down and what she had stumbled over was an eight-year-old boy who had frozen to death and boy God just broke her heart there are people there are kids dying in the slums dying in the prisons nobody's doing anything about it. God just broke her heart with that. She began to uh, create uh, schools uh, for, because not everybody went to school in those days. She began to create schools uh, in the slums for, for some of the kids that didn't have anywhere else to go. She even found somebody, uh, a person, a wealthy person that had a mansion, and they let her start a school in, her, in their mansion. She started a school there. And she started going into prison. She found that the conditions were just atrocious. Um, Men and women were together. Uh, kids were being born in the prison. 
Uh, people were being uh, beaten up and killed in the prison. So she started doing things like, like saying, guys, we've got to separate the guys and the gals in prison. We can't have that. We've got to do something. These little kids that are being born in prison, they don't need to, they, that's not right. You can't have these hardened criminals. Because all, everybody was together. The hardened criminals were in there with people waiting trial, and over half of the people in prison were debtors. They're because they couldn't pay their bills. And so you got murderers and things like that sitting there with people who can't pay their bills. And so Elizabeth Fry stepped in and, uh, and she said, God, use me. And she gave her life. Chased some pretty big lions, amen? And, God, and she became known as the angel of the prisons. One of the things she did, and looking at the, at the prisons and looking at the poverty and looking at the slums, she started a nursing school. A school for nurses so they could go and make a difference in these places. And one of the ladies that went to her nursing school was named Florence Nightingale. Yeah, yeah. God used one lady who doesn't look like she belongs. She, she's from the upper class. Uh, you know, she's well-to-do. And she, has, she didn't know anybody in slums. She didn't know anybody in prison. This looks like way out of her comfort zone. But God used her. God used her to change the lives of certain people that had nobody else that was interested in their lives. So let me ask you a question as we close out today. Who is it? Who is it that God has placed you in their life so that you can pray, God, help me to show Jesus' love to them. God, help me to share Jesus' message with them. God, don't let me let fear stand in the way of telling them about Christ, inviting them to be a part of our church, loving them when nobody else does. Lord, help me to see the reason I'm at my job in my family at my school on this team God help me to see it and make the most of it for Jesus sake would you stand please with heads bowed and eyes closed with heads bowed and eyes closed no one looking around one lady involved in the campaign to abolish slavery helping the homeless establishing a shelter, changing the prison system, and even setting up a nurse's training school when she was 60 years old. And she always, when she went into the slums and the prisons and those places, she always took Bibles and she always took biblical pamphlets to give out so that people could learn more and more about Christ. Let me ask you something. What are we doing that's going to matter 100 years from now? What are we doing as individuals? What are we doing in our families? What are we doing as a church? It's really going to make a difference 100,000 years from now. Would you bow your heads and pray? Father, as we come to the end of this series, I pray that you would anoint our eyes to see, our ears to hear, our heart to love, to see the opportunities around us to honor you. Lord, we're so quick to see opportunities to go do something fun and we praise you for fun things so quick to see opportunity to do something we enjoy doing Lord I pray that we would enjoy and love following Jesus and showing other people how wonderful he really really is